Okay, um, so this message was originally preached on the 26th of October 2008, but due to, again, technical difficulties, as with the week before, um, the recording uh, failed. So, again, preaching this one from the loft. Um, so, uh, yeah, again, that's why there's no background noise, no hilarious laughter at the funny jokes that I say, um, and probably doesn't sound very atmospheric, but anyway, so... But we wanted to get this, these messages on because I think this series, probably more than any we've done, has provoked more response positively than any other. So we want to make sure that um, they're online as a resource for Revelation Church and for the wider church. And for those of you that aren't in a church tour and don't even know the Lord, but you're looking to explore Christianity and explore Jesus from the comfort of your own sitting room or iPod or whatever. So, okay, here we go. One of the most humane quotes, if you like, in the Bible is uh, one of those quotes that I think many of us can look at and think, oh yeah, I can really relate to that. I think it's a story of the man with the son who's afflicted by an evil spirit in the Gospels and this man has asked Jesus' disciples if they would try and cast the spirit out of the boy so this boy would be relieved and healed and the disciples are unable to. Jesus comes along and the man says to Jesus, uh, if you're able to help us, please do something. And Jesus says, if I'm able to help you. And at this point, the boy is thrashing around on the floor in a terrible way, but Jesus wants to attend to this matter of faith and unbelief he sees it as that important while this boy is flailing around on the floor Jesus says if and Jesus says all things are possible for him who believes at this point the man says I do believe help my unbelief and I think that quote <clears throat> many of us if not all of us can relate to that and think yes I, those of us that are believers yes we do believe however I think all of us, maybe, or many of us would be aware of areas where we're still struggling to come through in faith and wholeheartedly um, be of a total persuasion um, of the will of the Lord in the situation or um, the willingness of God to do the things that he said in his word that he wants to do. And so let's go into today's message really with that ringing in our ears that, yes, you know, we do believe. Um help us with our unbelief you know um, as a church it's been prophesied over us independently a number of different times that we'd be known for our love and for the miraculous and I think on the first front we've seen some wonderful demonstrations of that on the second front it's been a, it's been slower progress and I think you can think ah you know is God gonna do it we say God we do believe through this series on faith and unbelief help us help our unbelief when it comes to finances at this stage would be about around about just over a grand a month um, down on what we need in terms of incoming and outgoing God help us God provide God make a way through for us I pray God release resources to us for this evening service again God help us to really take ground here for the young mums and toddlers group we're starting next spring God, give us give us uh, massive favour there. God, open up doors into 
household and people's lives that we can be a blessing to and bring in the kingdom to salvation Lord help us to grow in confidence that you will save many many people but not only that as a church but individually there will be issues that each of us are facing where we need faith where we need to express confidence and not give way to fear not give way to panic anxiety and unbelief now we're looking at the story of the 12 spies and um just will recap on that story just to help you so the situation is, is that the Israelites are under the leadership of the Lord um, and Moses as really God's mouthpiece and uh, as, um, as, as God's anointed leader and they're in the wilderness in between Egypt and the land of Canaan which is the promised land um, they were rescued from Egypt miraculously marvelously um, by wonderful demonstrations of the power of God over the false gods of Egypt, and um, it's, it's 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 a staggering story up till this point. They get into the wilderness and are met with challenge after challenge, which God meets with His sufficiency and provides miraculously again and again. Um, get to the point where they are close to the promised land of Canaan, and so they Moses directs each tribe to choose one man. So 12 men are chosen and sent into the promised land as spies for 40 days to spy out the land and come and bring back a report what's it like what are the cities like what are the people like what's the fruit of the land like um, really not, not they're not supposed to come back and give an assessment as to whether or not it can be done God has said I'm going to give you it that's settled they're supposed to really just come back and <clears throat> bring the facts so that as they go in to take the land they're not going in blind then they're calculating the challenges they're knowing where to put their resources they're knowing how to um, go about things so really they're looking to gather information that will help them on their faith venture really which is just that's wise that's a good thing to do um, but what happens is is that throughout the exploration of the promised land um, whether it happens suddenly or whether it happens bit by bit the confidence of 10 out of the 12 spies gets eaten into and eroded and is replaced with fear is replaced with trepidation is replaced with um, really a sense of being completely overwhelmed by the task ahead um, whereas two of the spies remain overwhelmed with the glory of God and remain utterly confident in the faithfulness of God to do what he said he's going to do which is bring him into the land so they come and they bring their report back to the people and we can pick it up in Numbers chapter 13 verse 25 at the end of 40 days they returned from spying out the land they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land and they told him we came to the land which you sent us it flows with milk and honey this is its fruit however the people who dwell in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large and besides we saw the descendants of Anak there the Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Caleb was one of the two spies who wasn't overwhelmed by fear. The other one being Joshua. Verse 31, then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land they'd spied out saying, the land through which we've gone to spy out is a land that devoured its inhabitants and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. 
And then we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim, and we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seem to them. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night, and all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we died in the land of Egypt, or would that we died in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let's choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel, and Joshua the son of Nun, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he'll bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. We've looked so far at five symptoms of unbelief and five symptoms of faith to counteract that and we're going to go on looking at uh, I think three more today but the ones we looked at is unbelief says we can't and assumes inferiority faith says we can and assumes superiority number two unbelief emphasizes the difficulties the problems and the possibilities faith recognizes the difficulties but doesn't stay there moves on to be overwhelmed with God symptom number three unbelief turns good things into bad things faith is confident that what God has said is good is good number four unbelief is paranoid and makes assumptions based on this faith is unselfconscious and too caught up with God to fall into paranoia since number five unbelief is instantly contagious faith takes time to be built into a community Symptom number six, which is where we're going to start today's message. Unbelief leads to despair, depression, and even a death wish. Chapter 14, first few verses. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we died in the land of Egypt, or would that we died in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? Faith is mystified and grieved by such an outlook. 14 verse 6. Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh who were among those who had spied out the land tore their clothes. In those days and in that culture to tear your clothes was a sign of deep distress, deep angst, Sadness, mourning, grieving. Our nation has turned its back on God. In the United Kingdom, um, I guess in the 1980s or so, many people wouldn't have believed in God, in the Bible, in Jesus Christ, and really wouldn't have believed in anything spiritual. We were very much materialistic in our culture much more now people would describe themselves in our culture and our nation as spiritual that's very very common now but it's a self-assessment rather than an accurate assessment 
Um, basically, our nation is not spiritual, but it's foolish. Um, the, one of the most popular uh, phrases that people come out with in our nation is that um, really, you know, you can't know for sure uh, what is that the, what one person believes is, is the absolute truth. That's ridiculous, arrogant, bigoted. Um, you can't know for sure. Um, the most important thing is just that you believe that you have your beliefs and that you are sincere and earnest in them um, and people would feel that to say that what you believe is the truth is way too dogmatic the problem is is the statement I just read to you, well spoke out to you that many people take upon their lips this statement you know no one can know for sure that's dogmatic you're making just as much a dogmatic statement by saying that as the person who says what I believe is the truth you see, you can't escape dogma. You can't escape. Dogma means certainty. You can't escape it because dogma is a child of logic. We're logical beings. Out of logic, we know that certain things have to be a certain way and can't just be randomly uh, disconnected. Life isn't random. The universe isn't random. The physical world, the biological world, the chemical world is not random. And so you, things can't just be, oh, just believe whatever you like and that will suit. You, know, you, can't, you cannot escape dogma. You cannot escape certainty. Now these days Christian dogma will land you in trouble just like it did the early church. But that's no reason to back away from it. And my comment is this, is that the national unbelief, which is described as spirituality, but is actually unbelief, is leading to national despair. Despair and depression in our nation is rising and rising and rising. That's just the facts. And people put it down to all kinds of different things. But no one dares suggest that it could be that we've turned our back on the true God. We're in a situation where the God of Mammon is being exposed for what it is, a false God, an insecure God, an uncertain God. The God of Mammon refers to the God of the love of money. And during this credit crunch stroke recession that we find ourselves in, that whole thing which seems so certain to many, many people's minds and seems so permanent, the banks... The financial institutions are being shaken and the God of mammon is being exposed and people are feeling insecure. Um, I remember reading of, or hearing on the news of the family who, rich family, massive mansion, forgotten where it was, somewhere I think on the border of England and Wales, wonderful home, husband, wife and beautiful teenage daughter. But they had big money problems debt problems and it seems that what's happened is is that the, the, the husband and father has not only set the house on fire which I guess would be understandable some kind of insurance job or something but no I mean he then killed his wife and killed his daughter and killed himself you think because of what money you think what is this this is crazy this is terrible and there seems to be increasing widespread um, uncertainty panic uh, despair Depression is growing, loneliness, we're a very lonely city, London, very lonely city, loads of people, um, but increasingly people living alone, increasingly people feeling only safe by themselves, uh, suicide, all constant issues, Samaritans busy, what is this? Unbelief, unbelief. You see, the Christian is to stand out in stark contrast to this. An essential part of our witness is that we actually are not like this. Now sure, as Christians we struggle when times are tough. But despair, depression and a death wish 
they're indicative of something else. The dictionary defines depression as unhappiness, hopelessness, dejection, poor concentration, lack of energy, inability to sleep, sometimes suicidal tendencies. Is it God's will for a Christian to live like this? No. The Bible's clear. There's scripture after scripture to counteract all of those symptoms. It's not God's plan for us to live like that. Now, I'm not saying snap out of it, if that's you. I'm not saying pull yourself together, if that's you. But neither am I saying that's God's cross. That's the cross you've got to carry. Neither am I saying this is the will of God for you. What I'm saying is this, is that we will help you and support you and love you in order to find a way through. No one wants to live like that. Surely no one wants to live under despair, depression or death wish. Those things can very well be the result of unbelief. Because those things often come with a message, you see. People are depressed for a reason. You get to the heart of it, very often there's a, there's a reason, there's a message people have believed. It's a thought. It's come in. It's thought. You're worth nothing. Or you're never going to achieve anything. Or things are never going to work out. Or they're always going to be like this. It's a hopelessness thing. It's a message. Now in the Bible, the, the word angel means messenger. And the Bible says this, that Satan himself masquerades as an angel, a messenger, an angel of light. He comes and whispers thoughts into the mind very often in the name of God, as if he were, as if it was coming from God. So God says, you're not up to it. God says, you're never going to make it. God says, you've committed the unforgivable sin, the common one, a lot of the time. Christians, earnest Christians, tender consciences believe that. And they get wrapped up in darkness and depression and terrible hopelessness. It's not God's will for you. It's not God's will for you. To be in faith necessitates confidence. You'll face trials as a Christian, tragedy as a Christian, valleys, and you'll mourn and you'll grieve. Absolutely. Absolutely. But you know what? Your life will be marked by hope because God is the God of hope. There may well be tears in the night, but there will be joy in the morning. You'll go out sorrowing in tears, but you'll come back with sheaves under your arms and laughter. You may well mourn, but you'll be comforted. The Apostle Paul described himself as afflicted, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. It's a one thing to stare despair, depression, and a death wish in the face. It's another thing to submit to it and be governed by it. Faith doesn't allow oneself to get into that and indulge that. Symptom number seven, unbelief accuses God. 14 verse 3. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Faith believes God. 14 verse 8. If the Lord delights in us, he'll bring us into this land and give it to us. A land that flows with milk and honey. A sure sign of unbelief is if you're suspicious of God's motives towards you. You doubt his goodness 
towards you. And it manifests in accusations, yeah, the fist in the air. Why has God done this thing? How could God allow this? I thought you were supposed to be good. God wants to destroy me. God's out to get me. God hates me. God won't forgive me. This is a trap laid by God. God's laughing. If you're in that place, you're in a twisted and a sorry state. God brought them out. The Lord brought them out of Egypt to bring them into the promised land. He brought them out to bring them in. He didn't bring them out to kill them. They said God brought them out to kill them. They're accusing God of evil. They make the Lord out to be a liar. You mustn't entertain that. If that's you and you're entertaining these thoughts, these ideas, that God's really just setting traps and really God's just looking for you to make that mistake so he can just finish you off and God's out to get you. That's, a, that's, that's accusation. That's slander on God's character. Christians who think God's making them sick to teach them a lesson. I mean, let's imagine that yeah, God disciplines his children in the same way that parents discipline their children. If my, if my child, one of my children disobeys me, I'm not going to go out to a, a laboratory and try and find a little, some, I don't know, measles germ or something or some kind of thing and just syringe it into his milk before he goes to bed. That'll teach him. I don't do that. I wouldn't, why would I, I wouldn't do that. What's that going to teach him? It's going to teach him that I'm horrible. It's going to teach him that I'm vindictive. It's going to teach him that I am, I need locking up. I want to teach him to obey and trust me and do what's right. So, I'll, if he disobeys, I'll discipline him. I'll talk it through with him and I may well smack him. But it's over and done with quickly. We don't drag it out. Days of illness, that'll teach you. No. No, we, we, we teach you a lesson and talk it through and it's done gently and it's done in a way so he knows that I'm for him that's how we do it why Christians who think that God's not answering he's not answering my prayers I know why it's because it's me it's because it's me that's praying them this is crazy it's crazy I mean why would the Lord give so much teaching throughout the Bible as to how to walk in an effective prayer life I mean it's arrogant really it's arrogant for you to assume God would totally turn upside down his um, teaching on wanting to answer our prayers and make us effective in prayer for you, you know, just because of you, you get different rules, that's crazy, I tell you unbelief is a slander on the consistency of God's character on his faithfulness, on his goodness maybe some of you Christians, you know, you're in that way of thinking, you know, if things are going well, well it won't be too long until it all goes wrong it won't be too long it's going well at the moment, but you give it time, what is that? Now I know the Bible teaches each day has enough trouble of its own. I know life isn't plain sailing. I know that. Absolutely, there will be persecution, opposition, tribulation, pressure. Yeah, but the Christian is to live a joy-filled life. A blessed life. He's to enjoy God's provision. He's to enjoy answered prayer, fruitfulness. You might say, my life doesn't look like that. Well, what I would say to you is this, that the Lord wants to teach you this and bring you into this by teaching you how to meditate on the scriptures so you begin to believe what he says, so that you trust him, so you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
God will want to bring you into this kind of life by providing good Christian brothers and sisters so you can enjoy good fellowship with them, people who build you up and encourage you in the faith. God will want to teach you this through serving others. You can begin to serve other people and humble yourself and to reach out to others with the gospel. Maybe you need to receive some prayer. Maybe there's some issues. You just need to get some counsel and prayer, even deliverance on. All of these things are God's means of grace for you so you can grow. God is for you. And maybe you're, maybe you're listening to this and you don't know the Lord. Maybe you need to say, well, what's the first step for you? It's simply this. Understand, God is not against you. God loves you. Now, if you're not in Christ and you're living you know, your own life, doing things your way as if you was the Lord and, or whatever, or you're serving other gods, whether they're actual other religions or whether they're just other created things that take up all your passion and energy, then you're living in a way that's hostile to God. And in that sense, yeah, you are under his wrath, absolutely. But you know what? He loves you and he wants, to, he wants you to repent of that lifestyle and come to him so you can be reconciled to him and discover why you were actually made. You see, God's for you. God has a plan for you. God wants to reconcile you to himself. And although you're physically alive, spiritually at the moment, you're dead and God wants to bring you alive in the spirit so you can have a relationship with him and learn how to connect with him and walk with him. The bottom line is this, God is good. God is faithful. God will do what he's promised. And the biggest issue I think we struggle with is this mistrust of him. It's like back to the Garden of Eden, yeah? Where Satan came to Eve and just begins to throw doubt on what God has said and make God out to be a liar. And she believes Satan. And, well, come on now, look where that's got us. Every problem you see in the world is a result of that moment there. Faith believes God. Symptom number eight. Unbelief fosters a victim mentality. 13 verse 32. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that spied out. The land through which we've gone to spy is a land that devours its inhabitants. Well, the people we saw, they're of a great height. Put in verse 3. Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. It's a victim mentality. Faith fosters an overcoming mentality. Let's go up at once and occupy it. For we're well able to overcome it. If you're in unbelief, you basically assume that any minute now, you're about to be devoured. It's, it's, it's just a matter of time before it all goes wrong and you get devoured. What is that? Some of you live under that. Locate and destroy you know, here's the scary thing if you come under that it can actually be self-fulfilling these people were devoured there you go because that was God's will for them no way but because they submitted to that way of thinking they gave that way of thinking authority and it operated like a curse now a curse is what well curse to do a word search you'll discover that a curse really means this it's, it's you can define it as words that stab. Words that cre create injury. You can curse yourself. You can you can just get so into unbelief and begin to almost kind of almost kind of prophesy or predict or just constantly speak about how bad things are and how bad things are going to be and this, that, and the other. It's like you've got a knife. You're just stabbing yourself all over your body. And then you're thinking, Phew, told you so. Look how oh, tough to get from A to B. You just spent 10 minutes stabbing yourself. 
Now I'm not in this school of thing, you know, this school of thought that says you can't, you know, you must only speak what's positive and negative confession is wrong. The Bible's full of negative confession. The one is positive confession. Okay, so I'm not getting into this weird, unreal thing. Someone says, how are you? You have to say, I'm blessed and highly favoured, even if you've had a rubbish week. You know, because you know what? If you're in Christ, you are blessed and highly favoured, but it's okay to say, I've had a rubbish week and I feel rotten. That's fine. That's alright. That's different from this. This is just, it's a victim mentality. It's just constantly saying, what's going to go wrong? How bad things are going to be? We're told in Ephesians, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. You know something about the English culture, for those of you that particularly are English or have lived here a while, you'll understand that we're actually quite comfortable with things going badly. It actually sits quite well with us. Actually, in some ways, we prefer it to things going well. We feel a bit more comfortable with that. Well, you know what? We've got to shake that off. We've got to shake that off because Jesus says, I'm going to build my church. Jesus says, you lay your hands on the sick, they're going to recover. Jesus says, cast out demons. Jesus says, preach the gospel to all creation. Jesus says, I've appointed you to bear much fruit. That's the normal Christian life. That's what we're about. That's what we're looking for. You might say, well, why don't we see more? Some will say it's God's timing. I'm not sure about that. I, don't, I can't see a massive, you can build a massively strong argument for that biblically I think you can build an argument for saying that you can um, not see the things that you should be seeing due to your unbelief you see it even in Jesus' life where we're told he couldn't do many mighty works there due to their unbelief so I think you can see that I, I believe God's ready and waiting to save I do believe God has a schedule I do believe there are some things which are down to seasons and timing absolutely but I don't think it's purely that I think God has ordained that he will save people through evangelism. He will save people when Christians begin to tell them about Jesus. And Christians often don't evangelize. They don't tell the people about Jesus. They assume that people don't want, friends don't want to hear. Very often they do. And invite them to offer. They assume their friends don't want to come. And very often they will want to come. It's robbery by unbelief. And we need to repent of that. We don't know better than God. God says, just get on with it, tell people about Jesus. Let's not try and be mind readers well, no, because they're thinking this. You don't know what they're thinking. Your human wisdom is flawed. I don't want to say this, I just believe for some people here, this is just a rebuke, really. I don't want to be gentle, but I want to be firm and say, for some of you, this is this. You put your human wisdom over God's wisdom. You've got so used to relying on yourself. Listen, yourself can only take you so far. Don't wait until you reach the end of yourself, until you turn to him in earnest. Don't, don't wait until we're all just, you know, you're just totally out of resources because you've been relying on yourself. If you're a believer, stop it. You should know better. Stop it. You can rely on him entirely. He's demonstrated his faithfulness for you once for all through dying on the cross. You know, you know he's utterly faithful. If you're not a believer, listen, Jesus... He's completely given himself for you. He couldn't do any more to show that he's for you and loves you. Turn to him. Turn to him. And if some of you are just getting into some really stupid stuff, you think that no one knows, tell you you're being a fool. You need to flee, and you need to flee quick and get right with God. I want to just mention about the workplace for a couple of minutes, you know. Listen, wherever you, your job is, if you know God put you there, 
or whether, or whether it's university, you know you're in the right place. Listen, be confident then. If you know you are where you are because you're in the right place, you've got peace about it. You, you know, you, you might not have had angels directing you there, but you've got peace, you're in the right place. You're where you should be. Be confident regarding the situations that you face. Be confident regarding the people that you meet. Don't see yourself as like a victim. God will give you the wisdom that you need. Don't assume it's all going to go wrong. Trust God that as you honour him at uni, in your work, in the workplace, as you honour him, that he will honour you. Work hard with integrity. Work with humility. Work with honesty. Work with joy. You'll make an impact. Love the unlovely. Love the unlovely. Remember when I was at college, there was a particular guy who just sit in the canteen by himself and Remember one day some other guys was just throwing, I don't know, crisps or peanuts at him or whatever. I just thought, no, this is all wrong. What should I do? And uh, I just went and sat with him. I just went and sat with him and that was it, really. Just chatted, struck up a conversation, but the peanuts soon stopped flying. That's all it takes. Love the unlovely. Love the unlovely. Keep your eye out for the vulnerable. Do them good. Go to parties and remain joyfully sober. Go to parties and have a great time and enjoy the music and dance and enjoy the company but remain sober you have an impact even if you lose your job due to the credit crunch due to the recession retain your confidence in God he saw it coming he saw it coming don't panic don't flip out don't do anything crazy you might say it seems like you just keep repeating yourself with this series yeah I am I'm really just trusting that each hammer blow again and again will finally destroy this wall of unbelief that we will establish instead a robust overcoming breakthrough faith as a church community in the middle of widespread uncertainty fear and even panic as we do this we can hoist some flags we can hoist some flags in our homes in our unis in our workplaces flags that say Jesus is Lord flags that say the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil flags that say the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever Flags that say, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? Some of you may be facing difficulties in marriage, difficulties with your parents, with your kids, with your friends, difficulties in situations, wider family, and you just there's no way through. I want to say this to you today, don't wait for the answers, don't wait for the situation to change until you trust the Lord and exercise confidence in him. Trust him now. Be strong be of good courage, don't be afraid, don't be intimidated, don't be overwhelmed, don't panic, wait on the Lord. God is with us, he plans to do us good, he is faithful and we are not to be surprised when everything around us gets shaken, it's been promised. In Hebrews 12, God says he's going to shake everything, so that only that which is unshakable remains, and that is the unshakable kingdom of God. Amen.